Welcome to the Legacy Nashville podcast. We are so grateful that you've taken the time out of your day to tune in. We pray that this message encourages you to seek God's presence and serve God's people. Now, let's get to the message. Uh, what we're going to be doing is we're going to continue our sermon series called Just Jesus. And every single week during this sermon series, what we're doing is we're focusing on a facet of God's face in the beauty of Christ Jesus. So here's what we're doing. We're gonna be looking at different aspects of the nature of God in Christ Jesus so that we can learn more about what God is like. Does anybody else think that's a fun idea? How many of you guys in here, like, you wanna know God better? You know what the great news is, guys? We have a book. It's called the Bible. It's God's love letter of self-disclosure where he displays to us what he is like. And so if we wanna get to know him better, we can go to the word, we can go to the scriptures, we can read more about God, we can read more about Jesus, we can study the nature of Jesus, and as we get to know him better, we can grow deeper in our relationship and our intimacy and our union with Jesus. And so that's what we're endeavoring to do over these number of weeks. I don't know how long this sermon series is gonna last. We're just gonna talk about Jesus for a while. Okay, so I hope that's cool with you. Uh, in week one, uh, that was Easter Sunday. Does anybody remember the title of the sermon? You guys listened. That's amazing. So last week we did week two. Does anybody remember what week two was? Great students. See, I can tell you, if I ask the 11 a.m., they ain't gonna know. I'm telling you right now, the 9 a.m. is locked in. You guys are locked in. I love it, all right? I love it. So this week, what I'm going to be talking about is Jesus as our bridegroom, all right? So the title of the message is Jesus, our beloved bridegroom. And um, when you talk about Jesus saves and Jesus heals, if you are a seasoned believer, like you've been going to church for a while, listening to a sermon about Jesus saves is not incredibly difficult. And if you grew up Pentecostal especially, listening to a sermon about Jesus heals is not incredibly difficult. These two things are pretty easily adopted and celebrated for seasoned believers. But even for seasoned believers, when I get up here and say, I'm going to be talking about Jesus as bridegroom today, there will still be some people who will squirm around in their seat. What do you mean, Jesus as bridegroom? Are you talking about Jesus as Husband, what if I'm a married man in the room? That's weird. How am I supposed to wrap my head around Jesus being the man that I am married to in a spiritual sense? That's weird. That's crazy. I don't think I can go there with you today. Well, I'm asking you, please, all right? Just posture your heart, open up your soul, and say, okay, God, if your letter of self-disclosure includes you as bridegroom and you want to know me as my bridegroom, then I want to listen, I want to learn, and I want to grow in my relationship with you as your bride. All right, is it, is it weird yet? All right, listen, I know it, it, it might be a little weird, uh, and I'm sorry to say, guys, men in the room, the Bible says that you are a part of the bride of Christ. All right, these are spiritual truths. They're not natural truths. They're spiritual truths, all right? And so women in the room, I'm sorry to say if this is weird, uh, the Bible teaches that you are adopted as a son 
of God, all right? So I know that might feel a little bit strange, but that's what the Bible teaches us uh, is true. And I think that these two truths, like God is our Father and Jesus is our bridegroom, can be some of the most challenging to receive. And I don't say that just because, you know, men are part of the bride and women are called to be sons, but because our relationships with our fathers and our relationships with our spouses can actually be some of the most challenging and some of the most traumatic relationships in our lives. You know, if you grew up with an abusive father, you are not comfortable, especially at first, hearing a sermon about God being a really good father because your experience with your father has been really bad. In the same way, if your love life is just up and down and all over the place and it has been very traumatic for you to be in a relationship or maybe you've gone through a brutal divorce in your life and you're hearing a sermon like, Jesus is your lover, he's your bridegroom king, you're like, you know what, I'm good. I think I'll stick with the whole thing like Jesus is my salvation and my healer, but if you're talking about Jesus as my lover, now nah, I'm good. I think I'm gonna go ahead and skip this one. Let me ask you, please don't skip over this Sunday message. Just open your heart and let Jesus reveal himself to you as the bridegroom, all right? So these two revelations are some of the most challenging, and the reason for that, church, is because these two revelations are some of the most crucial. When people receive God as a good father, I always see breakthrough in their life, always, as a pastor. I always see that. As we receive progressive revelation and understanding about God being a really good dad, our heart transforms and our life changes. Can anybody else in the room testify to that? Whether you had a bad dad or a great dad, when you learn that God is the best dad ever, 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 breakthrough takes place in your heart. And let me tell you, church, it's the exact same way with the crucial revelation that Jesus is your bridegroom king. It's a very crucial revelation. It may be challenging because of your own personal experiences, but when you start to understand that Jesus is the lover of your soul and, and that you are called and that you are meant to love him as the lover of your own soul and to have that type of intimacy with God, there is breakthrough that happens in your heart and a shift that happens in your life. Can anybody else testify to that? When you started to learn about intimacy with Jesus, you thought, oh my goodness, my life is different. Wow. And, see, and, and, and obviously I saw more hands go up for, you know, I received revelation about God as Father than I did. I received revelation about Jesus as lover. And, and to me, I think that's representative of some of the challenge of, of, of talking about Jesus as lover. And I, I think that's actually one of the reasons why I felt today prophetically how important it is, how crucial it is that we pray in this season, all right? Uh, in in t March 2020, I remember God spoke to me. He said, prayerlessness is carelessness, right? I mean, I don't think my marriage would be very strong if I never spoke to my bride and I never listened to her speak to me, all right? So it's so important that we understand these crucial revelations. And I think it's one of the reasons why the enemy wars over them so much. Because if we'll receive God as Father and we'll receive Jesus as Bridegroom, I can promise you this, your spiritual life will take off. It'll take off, all right? It will. And this goes back to the beginning. I, I'm, I'm gonna hit on some Old Testament ideas mostly 
to try and build a framework for Jesus as our bridegroom. I, I will get to the New Testament, but this kind of happens when I preach on a subject for the first time. I, I've never taught on Jesus as bridegroom before. So when I start amalgamating all the information, the revelation, all the commentaries and studies that I do, I'm like, I got way too much stuff. This is a month-long series. So what I got to do here is just kind of give an overview, all right? I'm going to give an overview, and uh, I'm hoping that that will be helpful. So if you go back all the way to Genesis chapter 1 in the beginning, you'll see that God actually reveals himself as a good father. You'll recognize that, right? And what he does is he announces what he's going to engage as the primary vehicle of world change or what he declares is how he is going to advance his kingdom. You want to know what that is? Family. In Genesis chapter 1, God actually reveals to us the primary way that he advances his kingdom, and that is through family. When he said, be fruitful and multiply, take dominion and subdue the earth. Is anybody confused as to why the devil is fighting so hard against family in our generation? Because since the beginning, God has said, I'm going to use family as my primary vehicle for how I'm gonna advance my kingdom. Listen, it has never been more important, parents, that we teach our children the principles of the kingdom of God, that we dive into the word of God with them, that we teach them to pray, we teach them to study, we teach them to fast, we teach them to have the mind of Christ, we teach them to set their minds on things above. It has never been more important. And we see that right there in the beginning, Genesis chapter one, and then in Genesis chapter two, what we see is this good father, he actually provides a bride, everybody say a bride, bride. for his son. So right there, Genesis chapter one, we see the understanding is God is father, and then in Genesis chapter two, we see the understanding that the son, which we now know is Jesus, right, uh, provides a bride for his son. So the first Adam becomes the first bridegroom, and that's Genesis chapter two, verse 24 says, Therefore, a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. Everybody say union. That's a covenant intimacy. So from the very start, what we see in the book of Genesis is that God is providing his son with a bride, and this whole paradigm of God being our bridegroom, Jesus being our bridegroom, begins to emerge on the stage of human history. And so we today have a responsibility uh, to learn and to understand what God's trying to communicate to us, his people, through these truths. Amen? So Jesus, he left the Father to come to the world. I'm looking at Genesis chapter 2. Therefore, a man shall leave his father. You guys remember this, right? So Jesus left the Father to come into the world. That's John chapter 16, verse 28. And he has held fast to his bride, right? Genesis chapter two, and hold fast to his wife. We know Jesus holds fast to his bride and his bride is called the church. That's Ephesians chapter five, verse 25. And because of the cross, we know that we have become one body, everybody say union, union. with Jesus, just like it says here in Genesis chapter two, and they shall become one flesh. That's Romans chapter 12, verse 5. And so what we see is this prophetic foreshadowing of the first Adam, right? The first, our first dad, right? The first ever created man. We see a prophetic foreshadowing of what's to come through the Christ Jesus as he steps out onto the stage of human history and declares, I am the bridegroom. 
You know that really good father that created the first Adam? I come from that really good father. And I am the bridegroom that you have been waiting on. And I am going to hold fast to you as my bride. And we are going to become one flesh in intimate union with one another. And I'm going to make that possible through my own sacrifice. This is the privilege and the permission that each and every one of us have that have received Jesus. We can actually have real spiritual intimacy with the creator of the universe. What a privilege. What permission that you at any point during your day can simply begin to whisper to the creator of the universe and he'll respond. Like you never get call waiting. Right? He never hits decline. He always answers the text. What a privilege that it is that we have relationship with God as our bridegroom. And so throughout Scripture, God has chosen to reveal himself as a bridegroom. And now, as God's church, we know that we're his bride. We, we, we see that in the New Testament often. And that makes Jesus our bridegroom. And so we do have a responsibility to enter into this paradigm. Um, I want to look at the Old Testament first. And so in Isaiah chapter 54, you see one of the initial references to God himself saying, I am your bridegroom. Isaiah 54 and verse 5. And by the way, most of what I reference scripturally, if you're taking notes, you can actually read the whole chapter and get a lot more revelation about this. I just don't have time to go through whole chapters. The Bible says, for your maker is your husband, the Lord of hosts is his name, and the Holy One of Israel is your redeemer, the God of the whole earth, he is called. Your maker is your husband. Does that make anybody uncomfortable? It's like, okay, hold on, that's, that's a little strange, right? But this is God's self-disclosure. He's revealing himself here to his people, and most specifically in Isaiah 54, he's revealing himself to Israel, right? Because in that season, Israel were the people that belong to God. And in the New Testament, Jesus does the same thing as he reveals himself to his people in the New Testament. We know as the body of Christ, the bride of Christ, the church of Christ, and he reveals himself as the bridegroom. Now, as the bridegroom, one of the primary pictures you see in the Old Testament is God as husband expecting faithfulness and expecting fidelity from his people. He expects loyalty from his people. For, for all the married people in here, don't you expect loyalty from your spouse? <laughs> At the very minimum, right? You expect faithfulness. You expect fidelity. You, you expect, hey, there's going to be a measure of loyalty, which is why in Exodus chapter 20, when he gave us the Ten Commandments, he started with this one. You shall have no other gods before me, right? Because I am your bridegroom. That means you're not allowed to have any other loves before me. Right? That's what God is revealing to us. And he is able to ask this of us. You know why? We're able to ask this of our own spouses. Right? We see, we see it as, a, as an illustration. We're able to ask this. I ask this of my bride, obviously. And so aside from God alone, I would, I would expect that she not have any other loves before me. Don't you expect that of your spouse? Right? Aside from God. Right? So the desire of the bridegroom is... What we saw in uh, Genesis 2, hold fast to his wife and they shall become one flesh. That's what God 
once. And so just as I am jealous for this with my own wife, uh, God is much more so jealous with us. And um, I know that may sound a little weird. Hold on, wait, God is jealous? And immediately you have a flashback to high school. You know, it's like, hold on, wait, am I dating some like weird, uh, neurotic, envious boyfriend? Like, is that, is that what you're trying? No, listen, God is not insecure. Uh, but he is jealous, all right? And uh, it's interesting to me that he actually reveals himself in Exodus 34 as jealous. Not that, hey, I feel jealous. No, no, my name is Jealous. Like capital J, right? That's verse 14. It says, do not worship any other God, right? Don't put any other love before me, right? Uh, because my, I'm the Lord and my name is Jealous. You know how we did all those like flashing names? We could have put Jealous in there. And it would have been appropriate because God reveals himself as Jealous. He says, I'm a Jealous God. And it's not because God is insecure. It's because he's protective, God is, is protective of what belongs to him. And that's why he's jealous. Listen, God's jealousy is not based in fear. God's jealousy is based in love. So he's passionate in love to protect what it is that belongs to him. God's people belong to him. We belong to God in the same way that a bride belongs to her bridegroom. And we see that in the New Testament, John chapter 3, verse 29 the bride belongs to the bridegroom. And that would be a biblical picture for New Testament marriage, by the way. I know that can ruffle some feathers, but that's just what you know, the Bible teaches in regards to what marriage looks like biblically, is that the bride belongs to the bridegroom. We are supposed to belong to God in that same way. Um, and one of the things about the Old Testament we'll see over and over again is that when the bride is unfaithful to the marriage covenant, it causes the bridegroom great grief. Now, I cannot imagine another pain that would be harder than my wife being unfaithful to me, right? Like, that would, that would if for all the married people in the room, I mean, I don't want you to go there in your imagination, but if you ever have, you can only imagine, like, that would be, like, the worst. That'd be, like, my worst day ever, right? But if you look through the Old Testament, you'll notice that God, as the bridegroom, is so often heartbroken by the unfaithfulness of his people because his people are constantly cheating on him. Now, interestingly enough, even though we've traversed into the New Testament, God's people have not stopped cheating on him. And that's something I want us to look at very, very carefully today and investigate our own hearts it's like, are we cheating on God? Or when all of our loves have to get in a line, is Jesus the bridegroom in first place? Or is something else there? Is our reputation there? Is our money there? Is our career there? Is anything else there? It's very, very important for us to consider that because we see this all throughout the biblical arc. And in the Old Testament, God reveals himself, I'm a grieving bridegroom. That's what he's saying. I'm grieving. If you, you can look at whole chapters on this. I mean, God literally devotes whole chapters. You look at Jeremiah chapter 3. You look at Ezekiel chapter 16. And you look at Hosea chapter 2. God rebukes, and then he judges his bridegroom because they have been unfaithful to him. 
And so to say it a lot more politely than he does, he tells them that they're behaving like prostitutes. That's what he tells them. He said, you guys are all behaving like prostitutes. We are in a covenant with each other. Does it mean nothing to you? So Hosea chapter 2, I, I, you know, I couldn't just leave it at that because I'm like, look, I, you just got to know what it says, right? So this is what God says, uh, Hosea chapter 2, verse 2 through 5. For she is not my wife, I'm not her husband, that she put away her whoring from her face. Are you, this is, wow. Right? So you, what, you know what it's illustrating? It's illustrating, um, actually, it's illustrating like um, um, the makeup a prostitute would wear. That, that was like in that time. That's what it, that's basically. And, and her adultery from between her breasts, lest I strip her naked and make her as in the day she was born and make her like a wilderness and make her like a parched land and kill her with thirst. Upon her children also I will have no mercy because they are children of whoredom. For their mother has played the whore. She who conceived them has acted shamefully. For she said, I will go after my lovers who will give me bread and my water and my wool and my flax and my oil and my drink. That's, that, that right there is, is, that's an intense statement, isn't it? This is Hosea uh, chapter two, and it begs the question, what in the world has God's bride done? You know, to receive this type of, um, you know, communication from the Lord, well, they have been cheating on him. They've been unfaithful to them. I can only imagine if you've gone through that yourself you communicated quite directly as well. You had some choice things to say as well. There is no doubt about that. God says, you've been unfaithful to me, and here's why. Because when all of your loves, if you'll, if you'll just bring it back just for a second, when all of your loves get in a line, you have at least a couple of things ahead of me. I will go after my lovers. Why is that? Because they're giving me something that I want. What are they giving me? First, they're giving me bread, and they're giving me water. Right, so they're meeting my needs. Can't God meet your needs? Can't the bridegroom meet your needs? You don't have to go after something else to get your needs met. God is well able to meet every single need that you have. Even before you ask him for it, he knows what you need, Jesus said, right? So you may be thinking, well, God's not meeting my needs, so I'm gonna go to somebody else. I'm gonna go to something else that's meeting my needs. I don't feel valuable, so I'm not gonna go to God in prayer. I'm actually gonna go to social media. I don't feel worthy. I don't feel worthy of being loved. I don't feel beautiful. I, whatever it is that you might feel that you need, going to anybody but the bridegroom is what God considers to be an act of unfaithfulness. Right? So prayer, we go to God as a first line of defense, not a last resort. I'm gonna try to get all my needs met elsewhere. Listen, you'll, you'll figure out none of your needs will go met elsewhere. You'll end up back in prayer, so start there. I'm gonna just save you some time and save you some heartache. The next thing he says is my wool and my flax. Uh, that we, you know, I was like, what? That's, we don't really use that. Um, but what, what wool and flax is, actually, believe it or not, uh, is actually clothing. Interestingly enough, it's, it's it, wool and flax and my oil and my drink, which at the time were actually luxuries. So I'm not going to dive deep into that, but I just felt like God reminded me this morning, and maybe somebody needs to hear this, like you need to get out of the cool kids club. I, I, listen, I'm, this, I don't expect this to be popular. But one of the differences in like, well, there just seems to be a chasm between cool and vulnerable. 
You know what I'm saying? Like, you want people to like you, bro. Like, there is a need that you have that you are going elsewhere to try and have met whenever God, as your bridegroom, is saying, listen, I can meet that need. I accept you as you are. You don't have to put on for me, man. You don't have to pretend to be cool. You're already accepted. You're already accepted. That's right. Like, cool, uh, my definition of cool is, is, is like, just whatever's biblical. I was thinking about this yesterday and this morning. I'm like, so what is cool? And what I realize is, is like, cool is so often defined by the culture, and it, it's, never, it's never really that authentic. It's always placated. And what I've recognized is that people are walking around calling themselves Christians with deep-seated needs that are going unmet, and the bridegroom wants to touch your spirit and heal your heart. But unfortunately, you are too cool to get whole. Don't be too cool to get healthy. Don't be too cool to worship the Lord in spirit and in truth. Don't be too cool to let the bridegroom romance you. Right? Oftentimes, our breakthrough comes as the result of us laying down our dignity. And it's hard to lay down your dignity when you're too cool. I need a breakthrough, but I ain't going to worship because I'm cool. Right, listen, man, the Lord just told me, get out of the cool kids club, man. Get out of it. <laughs> All right, nobody put that on Instagram. When we exalt anything else before God, what we do is we abuse covenant and we engage idolatry. Here's what, here's what cheating on God looks like. Idolatry. Here's what unfaithfulness to the bridegroom looks like. Exalting anything else, even good things, by the way, above him. That's what God says, that's unfaithfulness. So the bridegroom expects that we honor our covenant, that we are faithful to him, and before anyone else, he gets our love. That's why the Bible calls it first love. Everybody say first love. First. Now here's the great news, church, and I, I, gotta be, I gotta be finished with this next point. I don't have time to dive too deeply. If you wanna double dip today, maybe I'll have more time in the second service, but it have, it, sometimes it be like that, you know? Um, thank God that whenever his people were unfaithful to him as the bridegroom, that God always revealed himself, even much more so, as a bridegroom that is rich in mercy, that he is ready to receive his bride back if she is willing to repent and return. Right, that's why in the book of Revelation, you know, Michelle read it today as well. Like, and, and frankly, even in the offering message, you know, he was talking about the, 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 the same paradigm. Right, God is so rich in mercy. He's so, as our bridegroom king, he is so rich in mercy. If we are willing to repent and, and come back to him, there can be a restoration of our first love. Right, and the, that's what I was gonna say about the book of Revelation is that I have this against you. 
right? You've forgotten your first love. As all of your loves have gotten in a line, Jesus is no longer first. Jesus is like fourth, or sixth, or ninth, or tenth, or whatever it might be. And no longer do you love Jesus only, you love Jesus and. And just, just adding things to the list. Well, this is more important to me now. I need this now. The favor of God will not lead you to a lack of intimacy with God. I'm so busy. I got so much breakthrough in my life. Favor. How close are you to Jesus? Well, not very close. That's not favor. That's a distraction. It's... Sometimes, if we're not growing closer in our covenant relationship with our bridegroom, we have every reason to pause and ask, is this actually a blessing, or is it what culture calls a blessing because I'm getting some of my needs met, and I'm confused? This must be God because I'm getting the bread and I'm getting the water. This must be God because I'm getting the wool and the flax. This must be God because I'm getting the oil and I'm, you know, I'm... Man, I'm, I'm walking in the sauce now. Yeah, but it, when all of your loves get in a line, is Jesus first? Like, are you going home to your bridegroom? Are you having constant intimacy and connection? And are you vulnerable? Are, are, you, are you authentic with him in a place of prayer? Or is this just all a, you know, a constant front that you do where you wear the ring, but your heart is actually far from him? So that's why in Isaiah 54, it says, for your maker is your husband, right? And then you, 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 you go ahead to verse 8, and it says, in overflowing anger for a moment, I hid my face from you, get this, but with everlasting love, I will have compassion on you, bride. That's the good news. That's what the gospel says, right? You've gone astray. You've been unfaithful. You've cheated on me. You've engaged idolatry. You've put other things ahead of me, but I love you. And I have everlasting compassion on you. And I will do anything that I can, including sending the bridegroom to be a sacrifice, to kick open the door to relationship and covenant again. I am faithful to you even when you're unfaithful to me. That's the heart of the bridegroom. And he definitely takes covenant very, 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 very seriously. And he always, through his mercy, makes a way for the bride to be received into his love again. That's why Song of Solomon chapter 7 verse 10 says, I am my beloved's and his desire is for me. How does it feel to know that you are desired by God? How does it feel for your heart this morning to know that Jesus, the bridegroom king, has a desire for you? Listen, your discipleship began in desire, meaning God's desire for you. Long before you ever had a desire for him, he desired you so much that he came to you in your unfaithfulness with his faithfulness. He came to you while you were yet an enemy of his in compassion and created a path for you to come home into a covenant marriage. I think that's pretty cool. You guys think that's cool? That's cool. So God's desire, church, is to love you as his person, as his people, as his bride. His desire is to love you in that way. 
And his desire as well is to rejoice over you and, and pour his love out over you, which is why in Isaiah 62, there's a progression here in Isaiah, it says, as the bridegroom rejoices over the bride, so shall your God rejoice over you. Amen. That is good news. God wants to rejoice over you. You know, Zephaniah 3 and 17 talks about God rejoicing over you with loud singing and dancing and that's the way that the bridegroom feels when the bride walks down the aisle, isn't it? You ever watch any uh, little videos on YouTube of all the bridegrooms crying like little babies when the double doors open up and the bride begins to walk down the aisle? If you're a married man in here, did you have that experience? Like, man, what a moment. Listen, you rejoice over your bride. How much more so does the bridegroom rejoice over you as he sees you coming to that place? of connection with him. And so no matter how far we've strayed or how many times we've been unfaithful, the bridegroom's everlasting love and compassion is towards you. He longs to receive you back. He longs to receive you back. If that's you and you're in the room today and you're thinking, well, you know, I'm, I'm saved, but I'm disconnected. Then this morning, um, we just want to create a little bit of space here as we're closing for you to get reconnected with the one who loves you unlike anybody else can. And this is what we came here to do. In every marriage I've ever attended, the double doors open up and the bride walks down the aisle. But in the kingdom of Jesus, when the double doors open up, it's the bridegroom that walks down the aisle. <laughs> in the kingdom of Jesus, all eyes, all attention are always on the bridegroom. I know in our culture, in our environment, you know, we, we make a big deal, and we should. We should. We should always do that. I'm not suggesting that we not do that. But in, in, in the kingdom of Jesus, everyone's focus, everyone's celebration Everyone's praise and adoration is focused upon Jesus, and that's what we come together for on a Sunday morning. And so if you guys don't mind, let's just stand, and just for a moment, let's just put that focus on Jesus. In the same way that we look at a bride when she walks down the aisle during the procession, would you just close your eyes and put that same degree of focus on Jesus as the bridegroom, and let him just walk down the aisle of your heart just for a moment. Come on, I'm just gonna take 10 seconds if you don't mind, just close your eyes. And think about that moment, you know, whenever Jesus told Peter, this is going to happen before dawn, and it happened, and then Jesus kind of cut his eyes over to him and looked at him right in the face, and it provoked Peter in his heart to repent. I wonder if, if some of us don't need to have an experience like that. What if you, as you're walking down, as you're watching Jesus walk down the aisle, have you made eye contact with him in a while? You know, have you, have you let him look into your heart in a while? Have you given him permission to have the kind of intimacy with you that he died for? Just with every eye closed and every head bowed, if you're in the room and you're far from Jesus, you don't know Jesus at all, and today is the day you want to start a relationship with him, would you just lift your hand? No one's looking around. I just want to pray with you and welcome you into the 
family of God. If that's you, please lift your hand high. Awesome, I see you. Anybody else? Just lift your hand high if that's you. Great, great. And if you're in here today and you feel as though you have completely disconnected from the bridegroom, and today is the day that you'd like to make a serious decision, all right? I don't want to sugarcoat it. I want it to be a moment of repentance. If today is the day that you feel like, I need to make a serious decision to open my heart to the Lord again and come back home and receive his mercy and compassion. If you're far from Jesus and you want to make that decision today, just to rededicate your life to intimacy, will you also lift your hand? Because I want to pray with you as well. Awesome. I see you guys. Amazing. Great, great, great. Anyone else? We're going to pray all together for each person that's lifted their hands. Awesome. I see you. Amazing. So let's just, let's just pray first and foremost with those who lifted their hands to receive Jesus today to begin their relationship. And let's just all say together, Lord Jesus. Come on, say it with me loud. Lord Jesus. Thank you for loving me. You love me. And I give my life to you. I confess today that you are my Lord and that you have rose again and forever I belong to you. And for those as well that have lifted their hands just to recommit to a lifestyle of intimacy. And there may be more in the room than lifted their hands, but let's also just pray together. Jesus, I repent for turning my back. I turn back towards you today. And I open my heart again to receive your love. Here I am. Love me freely. I am yours. In Jesus' name, amen. The team's just gonna lead us in one chorus as we're closing today. And if we could, let's just continue to focus on Jesus. If you'd like, you can lift up your hands to Jesus, your bridegroom king, and let's just sing to his heart. Let's just love him for a moment. Come on, let's sing out this eternal truth. This is where we're going. Let it permeate your heart. This is what eternity looks like. Thank you for tuning into the Legacy Nashville podcast. If you'd like to support the ministry, you can do so at LegacyNashville.org forward slash give. If you're listening on iTunes, make sure you log into the store and give us a good review. This helps our podcast reach new people with the good news of Jesus Christ. Join us again next week for another powerful word.